Today, we are continuing our study of Jeremiah and how God's plan prevails. And there are these common themes that we find throughout Jeremiah. Probably the most common theme is God's sovereignty. And of course, we have God's plan prevails as the theme for the whole book. And so his sovereignty, the way he plans things, the way he works things together is probably probably the main theme of Jeremiah. Uh, but the second theme is not as pleasant. Uh, the second theme is, is probably about his wrath. And today we're going to see about his wrath. And his wrath is the result of sin. His wrath is the result of his uh, long-suffering and patience coming to an end to judge those who deserve to be judged. And it's a hard thing to study. In fact, if I'm honest, I don't even really want to be preaching this. Um, there are times when I feel like Jeremiah, as we studied earlier in Jeremiah, where he said that if I held these things in, he can't even do it. He can't hold them in because it's like a fire in his bones that he has to get out. Now, he was specifically speaking about the prophecy and the word of God that God has given him. And I'm not putting uh, my pathetic poor preaching on uh, the same level as Jeremiah's prophecies. Uh, but as, you know, Clegg Avett said that he has never regretted God calling him to preach. He leaves that for those who have to hear him every Sunday. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry that, you, you know, you guys don't get to hear Jeremiah. But in a sense, uh, the message that I have today is a lot better than the message of Je that Jeremiah had. Even though we will be studying Jeremiah's message together and the wrath that God has, we also know that there is hope through Jesus. And so at, during Jeremiah's time, Jesus had not yet come. And so there will be some hope even in the midst of the difficult message today. And the thing I want to say about this is many of you who watch regularly or attended regularly while we were still meeting in person, as you know, um, I, I began to study and prepare for Jeremiah uh, in September of last year. And I attended a conference at OBU that was um, planning on helping ministers prepare for a winter Bible study. And as I was reading and studying Jeremiah, I thought this shouldn't just be a study for a week. This should be a, a, a sermon series. I should preach through this and, and, and really dive into Jeremiah. And I didn't really know what I was getting myself into because Jeremiah is incredibly complex it is not in chronological order. And so even just trying to get my head around the order of Jeremiah was difficult. And then the theme, uh, Jeremiah, I knew this before, but it didn't really dawn on me until I was in the midst of studying this that God had laid on my heart to present to our church, um, that Jeremiah's nickname is the weeping prophet. And it's the weeping prophet for a reason that there are some difficult things going on in Jeremiah. And so those of you who have been following along and listening to these sermons, uh, studying Jeremiah with me, with our church, you know uh, all of what I'm saying. And so God's plan prevails. And specifically today, well, uh, sorry, let me mention one more thing. I have not changed one sermon from when I handed in in January to Carol because she was helping with discipleship through Jeremiah, um, Kenny, uh, Burgett, who is our worship leader, and also um, Pam, who's our, our administrative assistant, our secretary, she they needed a copy because we planned things in advance. And so I had this uh, sermon lesson, this series, 
planned out just briefly, maybe a paragraph on each sermon, um, several pages, and turned in in January. And over and over again, what we have seen is how God specifically prepared sermons to fit exactly what we have been going through in our community here in Mansfield, in, our, in, in the United States, and at the world at large. And today is no different. And so this is a difficult sermon to preach, to be honest. Um, I told Rose recently that, I, I honestly, there are times when I don't even want to preach, right? Like I was saying, um, Jeremiah said he had a fire in his bones that he couldn't hold in. And that's, that's how this sermon is. I have to get it out. And, uh, but I, I, man, I, I honestly wish I didn't even have to preach this right now. That might sound like a weird thing to say. Um, but I know that this will be upsetting to some people and it will be offensive to some people. And I'm a people pleaser and I love people and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And I, and I, uh, and this sermon might, but, uh, it is what it is. God's word is the same it never changes, and I, and we have to preach it, and we have to be faithful to it, and this is where we are in Jeremiah, and so this is the sermon that uh, God laid on my heart back last year, and this is where we are today. It's time to preach this sermon, and it's timely. God's plan prevails against the oppressors. Jeremiah chapter 21, and all of chapter 21, and then through verse 10 and chapter 22. And then we probably are not going to get to chapter 25, verses 11 through 13 today, but it's there if you want to look at it, and I will reference it at the end. And so with that said, Jeremiah chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. When King Zedekiah sent him to Pashur, the son of Malchiah, and Zephaniah, the priest, the son of Maaseiah, saying now before we go on to what he said what jeremiah said and what god said through him uh, i want to point out because even though we're in chapter 21 it's been a while since we looked at chapter 20 because it was one of the ones that early on we fast forwarded to and looked at what was going on there and in chapter 20 the the previous chapter pasture as you can see here in this verse uh he beat jeremiah and he put him in the stocks. He did some terrible things to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had a lot of terrible things done to him. Uh, but in the very next chapter, we see King Zedekiah sending him to Pasture and to Zephaniah. And let's see what is said. Verse 2. Inquire of the Lord for us. So this is what they're encouraging Jeremiah to do. Inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now Nebuchadnezzar, we haven't seen him much, right? We haven't talked about him a lot. We, we talked about him in passing because we've talked about Babylon a lot and how God would be you know, coming through Babylon. But Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, as you see here in this verse. And he's found not just in Jeremiah. You can find him in other passages. Of course, he's probably most famous from or infamous, however, which depending on where you're at in the book, he's probably most famous uh, from Daniel. And so here we see him in Jeremiah, and he is the king of Babylon, who God has already prophesied through Jeremiah that these people would be coming in to destroy Jerusalem, to take the people captive as punishment for their disobedience. Now, we've already looked at that, but that's a lot of what's going to be said today. It's going to be repeated, and it's going to be clear. This is probably 
one of the clearest examples of God professing what is going to happen as prophesying as we will see in the book of Jeremiah. And so, inquire of the Lord for us, for, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Now, I want to be clear here. God is wonderful. When I think about how wonderful God is, it, it makes me emotional even because he has done so much for me that I don't deserve. He is so good and he is so loving. He, he created us. He didn't have to do that. He gave us life. He didn't have to do that. He offers us redemption. He offers us forgiveness. All the things that I've done in my life that I deserve to be punished for, he has offered me forgiveness through Christ. He offers us hope. He offers us life. He has given me an incredible wife, an incredible family. I get to live in this in, in Arkansas, in Mansfield. I get to be friends with so many of you. I get to have relationships with and, and friendships with so many of you. Uh, there are so many blessings that I have in my life. Uh, I have just there. Often I sit down and count my blessings. I sit down and think about how God has blessed me. And, and God's not just wonderful because he's blessed me. God is wonderful because he's wonderful. God is wonderful because he's God. God is wonderful because of all the things that he has done throughout history and who he is in his nature in general. And so, um, yes, they're right. God is wonderful. But that wonderful God has been warning them to repent time and time and time and time and time again. Jeremiah, the prophet that they have now brought before them, that in the last chapter they were beating, Jeremiah has been God's mouthpiece who has brought the warning. And, and the very thing that Jeremiah warned them would happen is happening. And now that it's happening, they're coming to Jeremiah and they're saying, go to God for us and ask him, since he's so wonderful, just ask him to take care of the king of Babylon, turn him around. Since we're God's people, we're the Israelites, Jude, you know, we're, we're here in Judah, Jerusalem. Um, God made this covenant with us. So just ask God to take care of the king of Babylon. And that's where they leave this here in verse 2. And So let's, let's go on and see what happens. Verse 3. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah. So here's what you should go tell the king. Now, I have a hard time preaching boldly to, to my friends, to you, to the people in my church, to anyone who might be watching this on the internet. I, I doubt President Trump is going to be watching this video. Jeremiah has to give this message to the king. So thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon, against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of this city. He's saying that he's going to turn back the weapons of war that are in the Israelites' hand, the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. He's going to turn the weapons that are in their hands. I don't know why I'm holding this like they had guns you know, swords and javelins and whatever else they had as weapons, he's going to turn those weapons back against his own people. And you might say, this is rough. This is harsh. How could God do that against his own people? And if, if you've heard previous uh, sermons from Jeremiah, 
then you know the things that they've been doing. If you don't know the things they've been doing, just be patient because when we get to chapter 22 here in a second, then uh, you will see that. And so God's saying that not only is this wonderful God not going to help you, he's going to turn your weapons, your own weapons against you. And in verse 5, I myself will fight against you. This is God. He's saying he is going to fight against his own people with outstretched hand and strong arm, in anger and in fury and in great wrath. Do we serve a loving God? Yes. He proves that love over and over and over and over again. And because we serve a loving God, he will pour his wrath out on those who have caused hurt and pain to those around them. He will judge those who deserve it. And this is what we're seeing here. And you might not understand that yet if, you, if you're not familiar with this, but this is what's happening. God is pouring his fury out, his wrath out, because of the evil that has been done by the people of Israel. And they've even turned to other gods. And, and we'll, we'll see that upcoming. Verse 6, And I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. These are incredibly harsh words. Afterward, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his servants, and the people in the city who survived the pestilence, sword and famine, into the hand of, of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of their enemies. He's saying those who survive the pestilence that I talked about, I'm just going to turn them over. I'm just going to give them over to the king of Babylon and to their enemies. The second part of that verse, into the hand of those who seek their lives. He shall strike them down with the edge of the sword. He shall not pity them or spare them or have compassion. So this is hard. This is hard to read. This, God's wrath is coming. Verse 8. And, and before I get to verse 8, let me just say this. It's not hard to read this if you think that you are above God's judgment. If you think that you're not going to be judged at all, then what does this matter? Why read this? But God's judgment is coming. It is coming for all of us. And, and he will separate those who have been saved from those who are lost. And those who are lost will have to, to pay the debt of their sin that is owed. And the New Testament speaks clearly to this. The Old Testament speaks to it also. But the New Testament speaks clearly to this. And God will judge those who are separated from him. Who have never been forgiven. Who, who don't have the blood of Christ. But... The Bible also talks about a second judgment. For those who have been saved, there will be an account of the things that we have done. We will be rewarded for the good that we have done. Um, but somehow there will be an account of the bad that we have done. Now we'll be in heaven, and I don't know how this judgment will take place. I don't know the exact details of it. I only know what the Bible clearly communicates about it. And I, I know some, some opinions on this. Um, but what we know are a few things. First, judgment can happen on this side of death. We can receive God's wrath on this side of death, which is what's happening here with the Israelites, with all the people of Judah. And uh, we can expect that. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you have been living against God and doing things that you know dishonor Him, uh, he, you can expect judgment. Now, the judgment might 
some of it might come now or it might be held on to until eternity. Uh, in fact, there are times in the Bible, lots of times, where it seems like the wicked prevail. Uh, but God is very quick to remind us that they don't prevail forever. God's plan prevails. And part of God's plan is that he is just. And those who are, have been made righteous, Jesus paid for their sins. And they will, they're righteous. But for those who are not, then they're not. So when we read Jeremiah and when we read about the wrath of God, we need to clearly examine ourselves and make sure that we are right with him. Because if we are not right with him, then what's to say that his wrath isn't coming for us? And I'm going to be honest, we'll get back to this in just a second, but if we look around us today, it appears that the wrath of God is evident. And maybe, maybe this isn't even about the wrath of God. Maybe this is just him taking his hand of blessing off of us and us on our own and our sinful lives and hearts have caused all of this pain and this chaos around us without any of, of his help. But what we know is, is that God is also in the business of coming against those who are against him and against the people that we will see described later in uh, Jeremiah, specifically in the next chapter. So let's continue with the scripture. Verse 8. And to the people you shall say. So that's what he was supposed to say to the king. That he's going to turn his weapons against him and all of that. Now to the people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. So if you choose to stay here, you're going to die. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you, shall live. God is telling his people to go surrender. Punishment is coming. They can either die or they can surrender. Those are the only two options that God has given them right now. The time for repentance has passed. And you'll see that he makes another offer in the next chapter to a sense, but they've already made their choice. They're not going to repent. They have just got through um, persecuting Jeremiah. They're not going to listen to him. And so, um, so if they were to, to surrender, then you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. Verse 10, for I have set my face against this city for harm. This is an incredibly mind-blowing verse for those of you who know the Bible. This is the city of David, Jerusalem. This is the city, this is the heart of of the promised land that God told his people he would give them. And he He promised that there would be, he would have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky that Abraham would. And Abraham had that. And he promised to Moses and to the people who were in Israel that he was going to, or sorry, in Egypt, that he was going to deliver the people out of Egypt and that he was going to send them to a land overflowing with milk and honey, that they were going to have this incredibly blessed land. And he gave that to them. And the heart of that was Jerusalem. And now God, the God of Jerusalem, has said he has set his face against this city. No country, no city, no town will be spared from the wrath of God if God chooses to set his face against them. And this is not just for Jerusalem of the Old Testament. This is for today. We have to make sure that we are repenting and that we are turning back to God. 
and that we are sharing his love and that we are spreading his love and that we're not doing things that we shouldn't do. And I will specifically talk about what some of those things are here in a little bit. But for I have set my face against the city for harm and not for good. Now, if you remember last week, Ra, the evil, the sin for harm and not for good, Toba, declares the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. This is the end of Jerusalem as they knew it. Now, later in Jeremiah, we will find that God has said that they're only going to be exiled for 70 years and that people will come back and rebuild the city. And we see that after Jeremiah, not in Jeremiah, that the, the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, of the city being rebuilt, we don't find that in Jeremiah. We find it later in, in the Old Testament. It's about, about as close to the end chronologically as you can get. Um, but uh, we, we've seen Jerusalem destroyed more than once in history. And if God didn't spare Jerusalem, why would he spare any city on earth who is against him? And you, you might say, well, I'm glad we're not against him. Well, we'll we'll see what against him means as we continue in this passage. Verse 11. In the house of the king of Judah, and sorry, into the house of the king of Judah, say, hear the word of the Lord. O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Now, we can look and we can say, well, the people of Israel were worshiping other gods. They weren't even, God wasn't even their God anymore. And so, of course, he's going to judge them. Well, they still considered God their God, even if they didn't realize that they were making him one of many gods, which I, I don't see how that's possible for some of them to not realize that. But if you look at today, Today, there are people who claim that they follow Jesus and they claim that they're Christians. Um, and, and yet, if you look at what drives them and what motivates them and how they arrange their lives and what they do with their lives, there's no evidence of that faith. And so I, I need to stick to this. We'll get back to some of that. But I'm a little scatterbrained today. It's just because I'm passionate about what I'm talking about. And what I'm getting to and I'm excited to get to it even if I'm scared to get to it because I do believe that it's God's Word through through Jeremiah not through me uh, God's Word that I'm just get to preach to you today um, but he is saying here execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed so here's the crazy thing is the king himself is part of the oppression and he is part of, he is the one of the oppressors and the people who are being oppressed as you, we're going to see this clearly spelled out you don't have to just take my word for it we'll see it in just a moment uh, but the people who are being oppressed are the foreigners who are in their land the people who are being oppressed are the widows and the fatherless the people who are being oppressed are the people who are not in charge the people who are in charge the Israelites, especially those men who are in charge of their households and in charge of business and things like that, they're the ones being the oppressors. And so God is saying, 
execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. But Israel is the oppressor. And so if we need evidence, we will continue going. Verse 13, behold, I am against you, O inhabitant of the valley, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord. Man, I love the Bible. It is my favorite book. It is, there's not a close second. I love how deep it is. I love how connected it is. I love how from beginning to end, there are so many strands that tie it together and that make it united, just one word. And sure, there are things that seem contradictory, but the more you study it and the more you get into it, you see how they work together. You see the beauty of it. And, and when, the more I study God's word and the more I dive into it, I see some terrible things and some horrible things that I don't understand, like him destroying his own city. But the more I study it, the more it makes sense and the more beautiful it is and the more beautiful he is. And this is an incredibly just in, unbelievable verse where he says, I am against you to his own people. O inhabitant of the valley, the land that he has given them, O rock of the plain, declares the Lord. You who say, who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter our habitations? He's saying, listen to the pride of the people of Israel. We're God's people. Nothing's going to happen to us. And now God himself is coming against them in their pride because he's not really their God. They've cheated on him. They've broken the covenant. All this will be clear as we continue. I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in her force, and it shall devour all that is around her. Chapter 22, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. So, back to the house of the king. Here's what he's going to say. And say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah who sits on the throne of David. David. He's sitting on the throne of David, a man after God's own heart. King David, who's one of the most famous people in the Bible, goes to tell the king that's sitting on his throne and to his servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. They're not doing it. Do it. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. He's repeating himself. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, that's the foreigner who's in the land, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You can find this if you just go back very few pages, not even pages, in a page in Jeremiah, where one of the many times where he said that they have sacrificed their children to foreign gods and they're shedding innocent blood in this place. And you might be thinking, well, of course God is going to judge people if they're doing that. Of course he's going to judge them if they're oppressing people and if they're doing wrong to the foreigner who's in the land. Of course he's going to punish them if they're neglecting the fatherless or worse, oppressing them or if they're neglecting the widow, or oppressing the widow, if they're sacrificing their children, of course he's going to punish them. But we don't need to be just 
looking at the speck in Israel eye, Israel's eye while we ignore the plank in ours. Look at our land. How good do foreigners have it in our land? Well, maybe better than their land, but not as good as people who might have a little more privilege than they have. Do foreigners experience oppression in America? Yes. Look at countries around the world. Do foreigners experience oppression in those countries? And most of them, yes. And so are we exempt from that? No. And then you can say, yeah, but we don't neglect the fatherless. Well, what about the children who are having to sleep in the offices of social workers tonight? What about the children who need adoption right now? Are we not neglecting the fatherless? Well, yeah, but we don't neglect the widows. Well, we'll look at the nursing homes. For those of you who visit nursing homes, you know, I don't even have to tell you how many people in there are by themselves, receive no visitors, receive no love or care, except for the people who work in those healthcare facilities, if they're lucky. Because not all healthcare workers, although many are incredibly sacrificial and loving, and some of the most incredible acts of kindness and love I've ever seen have been in healthcare facilities, not all healthcare workers do that. And so if we're oppressing the foreigners, if we're not taking care of the fatherless, and we're not taking care of the widows, then at least we have this last one, right? We're not sacrificing our children to foreign gods. Well, maybe we're not sacrificing our children to foreign gods, but how many abortions take place in this country all the time without any thought of the life that is being extinguished? And so we can look at people who are outside the church and we can say, oh, I can't believe you're doing this or you're doing that. That's easy to do. But what about those of us inside the church who are oppressing the foreigners? What about us inside the church who are neglecting the fatherless or neglecting or oppressing the, the fatherless and the widow? And what about those of us who have experienced abortion, that we have been a part of that in some form or fashion? And, and we have to take account for our own actions we, before we start thinking about what's taking place in our country, what's taking place in our world, and so it's no wonder if these things are taking place in the church. And don't get me wrong, this is not all churches, and this is not all church members. I've seen incredibly kind things and love from church members, especially since I've been in Mansfield. The way that most of you take care of your families and take care of your elderly parents and things like that, that's incredible. But we're not just called to take care of our parents. We're not just called to take care of our children. We're not just called to take care of our citizens. We're called to love everyone. And look, maybe some of these things that I'm talking about don't align with your political party. Maybe you're a Democrat and you're hearing something I'm saying and you're like, yeah, but my party says this. And maybe you're a, a Republican and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're saying, yeah, but my party says this. I don't care what parties in this country say. I care what the Bible says. And our first citizenship is not to this country. Our first citizenship is to God and his kingdom. 
And we are to be allegiant to him and to his word and to what it says. And we are to love recklessly and, and, and doing it in ways that might offend certain parties or certain groups or certain people. We are to love regardless of skin color. There is so much oppression and racism taking place in our country right now. And for those of you who are from Mansfield and you're watching this, maybe you don't see it because Mansfield is 95 point something percent white. And so maybe we don't see that, but I'm here to tell you as someone who's from a place where I was, there were less white people than there were minorities in that specific location that it takes place. Because as much as I love where I'm from, and I do love it, and I long to be back there, even though God has not allowed me to be back there, or he's not called me to be there, he's called me to be here, and so I want to enjoy where I am. I love where I'm from, but I can tell you, and someone from here told me a story about a time where they had to go work in a factory near where I'm from and how all the workers were black and all the management was white. Racism is still alive and well in this country. And I'm not saying that everyone watching this is racist, but we live in, in a society and culture where people who are part of minorities do suffer more than people who are not. And, and we, you might not like hearing that, but it's just evident. And we can just turn on the news and we can see it. And I'm not saying that that's the experience that everyone has, but it's common. And we, and every single member of our church who is active is white. We have a responsibility to speak up when we see oppression. And, and first of all, we need to make sure that we're not being the oppressors. And then we have a responsibility to speak up when we see oppression. And here's what I'm going to say. If we're not willing to not oppress and we're not willing to speak up when we see oppression, then I believe that God's hand will come against us. Not only will he take his hand of protection off of us, it will come against us. And you might say, how can you say that, that God would do that to his church? Well, he did it to Israel. He did it to the people of Israel and what if he's doing it to purify the church? What if he's doing it for the good of the church? Because all of this that is happen in, happening in Jeremiah is for the good of Israel. It doesn't look like it right now, but it becomes clear later in Jeremiah and some prophecies of what God says will happen. And then it becomes even more clear when those things actually do happen. But the covenant here is broken as we're about to see. And the new covenant that he brought in through Jesus that we don't, have a relationship with him through the law, which we can't uphold anyway. We have a relationship with him through grace and through the mercy and love of Christ and through his forgiveness, then yes, we have something special. But if we are the oppressors in whatever realm of life, even if it's within our families, within our society, what in our community, if we're the oppressors, and if we're oppressing, according to this verse, here's what he had against Israel, the, the foreigners, if he, we're oppressing the fatherless or neglecting them, same with the widow, and we're seeing the blood of, of children in our place, then are we being the church? Are we being who God has called us to be? I don't know how you feel right now. Maybe you're hearing this and you're angry. Maybe you're, you're hearing this and you're convicted. But this is a hard message to preach. This is a, a hard thing to deal with. 
These are the things that convict me and gnaw at me and eat at me all the time because I see them in our country. And I'm going to be honest, I don't see this much in Mansfield, but it's I don't know that there's opportunity much for it when it comes to race. But do we see, we might not see foreigners, I'm using the language here, the resident alien, in Mansfield much, although we do have some. But what about the fatherless? What about the widows? We see them. And you might not like to think that abortion takes place here, but it does. And maybe parents are not sacrificing their children to false gods, but they're sacrificing the lives of their children for the sake of their drugs or for the sake of their money. They're putting those things above their children. And so we can't just look at this like it's something that happened thousands of years ago. This is still happening. And just look around our country and look at what at how things have come. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people, if they will obey. Now, they're not going to, but if they would. Verse 5. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. It's too late for Israel. It's not too late for us. We need to repent now. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, You are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons. And they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and every man will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord dealt thus with the great with this great city? I mean, that can be said of plenty of countries in the past that they never thought would come to an end. And yet, they did. And they will answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, their God, and worshipped other gods and served them. Are we following God? Are we worshiping God? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, then every single one of us need to pray and ask God to see if there is anything wicked inside of us. We need to look and, and see, is there any racism inside of us? Because we are seeing the evidence of racism right now in our country. We need to ask, am I doing enough to help the fatherless? What am I doing? And is it enough? Am I doing enough to help widows or widowers? And if not, what should I be doing? Am, am I showing love to people who are considering abortion? Not just holding a sign and saying murderer, because how many minds is that changing? But am I growing relationships with people who might not know better or know differently or know what I consider to be biblical truth and helping show them that there's a different way and helping show them that there are, there's better ways to live our lives? Are, are we following God with all of our hearts? Are we doing what he has called us to do? I, I don't know about you, but 
I look around me right now and, and I see all the chaos in the world and I have to ask, like, what do we as the church need to be doing differently? What do I need to be doing differently? And so that's how we're going to close. We're going to ask those questions. Now, in, in verse 10 of this chapter, we see that he's saying they're not going to return to see this land for a long time. And if we were go, to go on to chapter 25, verse 11, 12, and 13, then we would see that God says that uh, they will not return to that land for 70 years. So not only are they, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, it, people are going to be taken uh, into exile, and, and they're going to be there for 70 years. And so we have to make sure that we now are responding to God in the way that he is calling us to respond. Are we doing any of the things that we saw in this passage? Because if we are, what's going to stop God from coming against us? And if we're not, or, or if we're not doing the oppressing, we're not doing that, are we standing up against the oppressors as Jeremiah did? Are we being bold? Are we speaking truth? And I'm not saying we have to be jerks about it or rude about it. We can do it in love and we can do it in kindness. But how it doesn't matter how kind you are when you tell people that they're against God and God is not happy with how they're living their lives, they're going to be upset. I say things in truth, but also in love all the time. And I upset loved ones and friends all the time with speaking truth. There are times when I could have said it more gently and it's my fault. I, I, I did not communicate that truth with enough love and grace. But there are times when I have said it with as much love and grace as I can and people are going to be upset by truth when they hear it because it's offensive to the core of who they are or to some action that they're wanting to hold on to. And so, is there racism in your heart? Are you neglecting the widows and the orphans? Which, by the way, literally widows and orphans, but also that was representative of those who could not care for themselves in that society. Look around you and look at those who cannot care for themselves. Are we neglecting the homeless? Are we neglecting those who, who are persecuted or oppressed? Are we neglecting those who need us? Let's see how we can reach out to help. How can we do that individually and as a church? Let me pray for us. God, help us. We love you. We need you. And I pray for our country right now. I pray for what's happening in Minneapolis and Louisville. I pray for the disease that is running throughout the world. I pray for all of the things that are going on. Lord, I don't have answers. All I know is that you are the answer. I don't know what I should be doing differently, but I pray that you would convict my heart and that you would show me what I need to be doing differently. What does our church need to be doing differently? What do your people need to be doing differently? You were very clear and blunt and you told the Israelites what they needed to change and that if they would repent of that, that you would turn from your wrath and they wouldn't. God, I pray that the same will not be said of us. I pray that you will clearly speak what needs to be said. And I believe that in your word, which was written thousands of years ago here in the, the word we're studying in Jeremiah, we, we would see that it is relevant to us today and that we would repent and we would turn from our sin and that we would live wholeheartedly for you. God, help us to love you more than we love this world. Help us to love your kingdom more than we even love our country. Lord, help us to love other Christians and each other more than we love our parties, our 
political parties. Lord, help us to love you and to put you first and and help us to be united and to go after you and to see your will be done and to, to see your love spread among the nations and help us to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys and I don't know anything more to say except I'm ready to see you and I'm ready to worship with you in person.